Welcome to the Marketing Schematic, the podcast that dives into the rapidly transforming manufacturing industry and how sales and marketing teams are driving business forward. In each episode, we'll explore marketing, business, and operational trends in manufacturing and talk to subject matter experts about what they're doing to stay ahead of it all. Welcome back to the Marketing Schematic. We have a very exciting episode planned for today. We're pivoting a little bit from our normal uh, marketing talk and instead kind of talking on something that is very crucial to business growth and business development in manufacturing companies, and that is culture. Um, So we'll be talking about what defines culture, how manufacturers can position themselves to start building a positive internal culture, and the business case for prioritizing culture. So we are thrilled to have Jim Mayer, host of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, join us on this episode. Um, I'll give you a little bio. Jim is your answer to turning a just okay workplace environment to one where everyone thrives. Founder of TCO Strategies, Jim uses his 20 years of skilled trades experience to offer culture consultations, interviews, and strategies to turn manufacturing companies into workplaces that thrive on motivated people and innovation. Beyond the office, Jim hosts a podcast that I mentioned, Manufacturing Culture Podcast, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, But in the show, he talks with industry leaders about how they're cultivating amazing culture inside manufacturing companies. So Jim, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi, Anne. Hey, Chad. Thank you for having me. This is so awesome. It's so weird to be on this side of an interview, uh, but it's really exciting. So thanks for having me today. I think for me and Anne, it's like nervous excitement to have a real life podcast host on our podcast because we're still I know. Listen, episode 10. We're still trying to figure it out I, here. I know. We're still <laughs> new to the game here. Yeah. Constructive constructive criticism welcome jim for sure hey you guys are doing a great job like i was saying before we we started recording what ann has done as far as setting up is light years beyond where i was uh, <laughs> or am even right now um i'm still new to the game too right uh as of us recording i have 54 episodes out um so it's i haven't even been in this podcast thing for a while myself but i will say uh it was within my first 10 episodes that I had my similar moment where I kind of geeked out because I had Megan Jimba on uh, the podcast and I fanboyed over Megan so hard (laughs) um, because, you know, Mavens of Manufacturing is just an amazing series and and show and whatever. And uh, so to have somebody that I was talking to that I'd looked up to was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Right. So I get where you're coming from. Uh, I felt super uncomfortable with the compliment. You could see my face go (laughs) way redder than it is right now, Chad, but thank you very much. Hey, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome to have you on and we're very excited to not only learn from you about culture, but uh, see how you do on a podcast and uh, (laughs) take that back to uh, the studio for us and kind of work on things. So absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, so I'll give a little backstory too to how we first met. So I came across your booth at the WIMTS show, Wisconsin Manufacturing and Technology Show. Yeah. And kind of going back to just, you know, looking up to you, I, I saw your booth on the second day and I was like, whoa, like this guy's got it like figured <laughs> out. He's got a whole recording studio. You were in like a prime location by like the concessions. And then the uh, second day, I mustered up the courage. I was like, Martha, who's our marketing coordinator, is like, we got to go talk to this guy and see what he's all about. And you were so friendly and so nice. And I was very, because we are still new to the podcast game, it was a little a little nervous <laughs> to see what you were like, but you're so friendly and very personable. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And uh, if you had come the first day, uh, you would have seen me at a point where I was almost in tears. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I had shared that story with you guys. I know you said setup was a little tricky the first day. Oh my God. I thought I had everything that I needed to go from recording remotely at home to going out into the field. And I was horribly wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's completely different equipment that you need. And 
I could get either the video to work, but not the sound or the sound to work, but not the video or sometimes neither at all. So I lost the entire first day. There was a moment where I walked outside of the convention center and I looked at my hotel and I thought, I could just leave. Nobody really, I I didn't, (laughs) nobody knows I was here. I could just go right. Uh, close to tears, but I made it through, uh, got a couple of interviews in while I was there, learned a lot of lessons from those failures. And, uh, now I'm a lot stronger moving forward, going out into the field. Uh, I have the right equipment, uh, all of that kind of fun stuff. So, but you, that introduction, I looked up and I was still fighting with the equipment and you had this bright smile on your face (laughs) and you introduce yourself and there was no way that I could keep my anger at my own misgivings uh, (laughs) inside anymore. And you were there. It really was a a spark of sunshine in a rather cloudy day. So thank you very much. Yeah, it was serendipitous, you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Cool. So we like to kick off the show with a little icebreaker. Um, Chad, do you want to preface this or do you want me to just go ahead and jump right in? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a quick buildup, right? I think uh, the thing I'm always telling Anne in our day to day and meetings, and I have been for a couple of years now, is that she has the ability to travel and or live and work anywhere she wants. So no mortgage, no children. Uh, we have no a cat, I guess a cat is in the picture, but cats can be moved pretty easily. I yeah, feel like, that's easy. <laughs> and so I'm always, uh, projecting, uh, onto her that I am kind of tied down with kids and, uh, and a life that I love very much, but I tell her, get out there, go be anywhere that you can before all that stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Um, while you, while you can do it. And so the, the question that then we came up with is has to do with travel and you know, where would you go and Anna, I'll let you ask the question. Yeah. Travel recommendations, welcome. What's one of the coolest places you've been? Um, where would you go back or where would you recommend someone travel to? Wow. So I I have a hard time keeping answers to one answer. So I've got a couple here for you. <laughs> um, so opinion. we're privileged enough to have family that lives in some pretty amazing places. So my in-laws live in San Diego. We live in Arizona. So we're here in in Phoenix. Uh, My in-laws live in San Diego. My dad and my stepmom live in Northwestern Colorado, uh, outside of Steamboat Springs. My mom and brother and his family live in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, My grandparents used to live in Hawaii. So uh, we had the privilege to be able to go literally anywhere in the U.S. that is some beautiful places, right? Right. And And also different from one another. Yeah. I was going to say, you've got all the climates or coasts covered there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, As far as where do I love with out having to visit family, I guess, you know, because when you, when you vacation and visit family, it's a much different vacation than right. it is when you just go somewhere. Um, my wife and I uh, went a couple of years ago to Puerto Vallarta and Ooh. we fell in love. It's a really quick, cheap flight on Southwest of all airlines out of Air, uh, out of Phoenix here. Uh, it's tucked into the mountains. Uh, it's super safe. It's uh, the people there are amazing. So Puerto Vallarta is definitely high on my list. Um, This summer, we're taking a trip to Italy. Uh, We're going to travel uh, basically from Naples and and Southern Italy all the way up to Milan. Um, And so looking forward to that, exploring uh, the Italian countryside, if it were, uh, trying a lot of different wines. Um, And it's a a memorial trip for my sister-in-law. So it'll be a very special trip. My wife and kids and I are going to go on. and, And so looking forward to that. So I that was a really roundabout answer, uh, which I hate when my guests don't answer concisely. So I apologize. No, I think it's great. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. Is that how you say Puerto that? Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. That'll go on the list. Italy's definitely been on the list, but it might be a, 
you know, yeah. another decade. That's because I've been telling we we my wife and I did Italy in May, so we did Rome okay. up to uh, Venice for about thirteen awesome. days, um, and yeah, it was amazing. So it, it's a magical place. Yeah, yeah. I a couple of years ago I did a trip. Uh, we flew into Munich and then took trains and buses from Munich down to Milan, and we visited uh, different manufacturers. Uh, so this was without my family, without my wife. This was with uh, uh, when I was with the NTMA, National Tooling and Machining Association. We took a bunch of our members, uh, thanks to the sponsorship of some great companies, uh, Big Kaiser and, and Speroni and some others. Um, but we got to visit the Heidenhain factory outside of Munich and the Grobe factory. Blazer. I mean, we just got to see really cool stuff, got to see how workforce development is done in other countries. It was just a really neat trip. Uh, we actually got stopped by a uh, avalanche in the, in the Swiss Alps, uh, wow. covered the tracks and the Italians didn't want to clean up the Swiss mess. And the Swiss said that it was an Italian mess. And so <laughs> we're we were literally under an awning of a gas station in the Swi in a tiny town in the Swiss Alps um, and, you know, drinking Swiss beer and schnapps um, until a bus could come pick us up and take us to the next train station around the avalanche zone. It was wild, but a That's super awesome. memorable trip. What an adventure. Yeah, it was very great. Cool. Sounds magical. Yeah, I loved it. it was. <laughs> It was awesome. Yeah. I've got a photo here somewhere. I don't know where it is. I'll find it. Very cool. All right. Well, with all that travel talk um, checked off our list here, now we can get into the real stuff, the culture things. Um, so I wanted to just start off by asking you, Jim, a little bit about how you how you fell into culture. How did that passion <laughs> come about? Where Where did that journey begin? Yeah, so it's kind of ironic. Actually, it's to that trip that I just mentioned. So that's kind oh, of cool. serendipitous that those yeah. questions align like that. I was uh, I had finished an MBA in in 2016 uh, in executive management, and part of my focus was uh, leadership and engagement and culture. And and so I was working for the NTMA and heard for the first time. You know, I'd heard this in Arizona and. You know, when you work in a bubble, you think that the, your bubble is the only one that exists. Right. So I'm now for the first time exposed to national organizations, uh, companies outside of the state of Arizona. And they're talking about the same problems that everybody else was uh, in in the form of, hey, we can't find anybody who wants to work. And this is pre-COVID, right? This isn't like the narrative post-COVID. This is pre-COVID. Nobody wants to work anymore. And... I got really tired of hearing people say that because there's a wealth of people who want to work. There, there right. are people who need jobs. There are people who want to work. They just don't want to be treated like it's 1950 anymore um, uh, and paid like it's 1970. So uh, I started measuring uh, engagement on the side while I worked for the NTMA for manufacturers. Engagement levels didn't do any insights with it, but just... I was so tired of hearing that narrative from the members and from companies that I was working with that uh, I wanted them to see, look, it's not necessarily that the market's dried up. It's that you're just not the place that people want to go work. Right. And that's where sure. marketing and, and right. culture really tie in uh, because you can build a really great culture. If you don't market your culture well enough, then uh, you're you're really not doing your culture any good, right? So we'll, we can talk about that later. Uh, so uh, I started doing these on the side um, and was fairly successful doing that. I mean, it was a good little side hustle. Just started reading, learning a lot about more about culture beyond what, what my schooling could provide. And then also I, I spent a lot of time in some companies that had bad cultures, right? And, mm -hmm. and so uh, you learn a lot about culture when you're uh, in a bad one, one that doesn't celebrate you or, or one that you don't fit with. Um, and so over the years, I, I've learned how to simplify culture, right? Culture mm -hmm. isn't this scary, massive thing. Every company has a culture, whether they know it or not. Um, right. It's and, and it can literally be boiled down to 
do your company values align with your employees values? Um, mm -hmm. That is in essence, the building blocks of culture. Uh, if you if your values align, your organization's values align with the company's values, then you have a healthy start to your culture, right? There's mm -hmm. still a lot of elements that can build upon that, like leadership and, you know, career pathing and, and things of that nature that dictate whether it's going to ultimately be a, a healthy culture, give you engaged employees. But uh, at the very most simplistic, if, if you have that alignment, then you've got a, a good start to your culture. Does that answer your question, Anne? Yeah, absolutely. And so now you have a whole podcast dedicated to this very topic. And so what kind of segued into that? You told me a little bit at the WIMTS show, but for any listeners, you know, what, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, I'm the most reluctant podcaster in the world. I never <laughs> wanted to be a podcaster. Um, I... Grew up in the 90s, you know, born in the late 70s, grew up in the 90s when answering machines were a thing on a tape, right? You had to rewind the tape, but you could hear your voice. And that's the most miserable sound in the world is hearing oh, your own so voice. Bad. I don't know I many people who like it, right? But I had the pleasure, you guys are both much younger than I, so I don't know if you remember answering machines, but you had to like record your voice and then play it back and make sure yep. you didn't mess up. Press a little press. button on oh. the inside of like the flip part. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. Um, so story behind the podcast is in 22, I was doing a marketing campaign, uh, email drip campaign uh, for TCO strategies for the, the consulting side. And uh, was talking with in this campaign about soft skills and how they relate to company culture. And I got so many negative responses and uh, everything from, you know, F you to people politicizing soft skills. You must be a liberal snowflake if you believe in soft skill, right? Like just some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard. Um, and ultimately, it's because those people are afraid of change, right? Everybody's right. afraid of change. I take that back. Most people like change. They just don't know they like change. Um, but anyway, going back to the story. But for every four or five of those bad emails, I got emails from people who said, hey, we've got a great culture. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Uh, and I started calling these these companies and these leaders and their stories were so awesome. And, and there's so much good going on in our industry that a lot of people don't know about because we're all stuck in our own little bubbles. Right. And right. and unless they're active on LinkedIn or or other social media channels, you don't really hear about culture in, in our right. industry and, and where people are culturally. So I was selling a good friend at the Women in Manufacturing uh, Summit in Atlanta in 22, this story. And she said, you've got to start a podcast. You got to get these stories out there. I said, fat chance, man, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and she challenged me to, to do so. And uh, I sat on it, didn't act. I, you know, a lot of it was imposter syndrome, I guess is right. Mm -hmm. I, I'd yeah. never done it before. Why, why would anybody in their right mind want to listen to me talk about culture on their iPhone while they're driving anywhere, right? I was, <laughs> that's the dumbest thing in the world. Nobody wants to listen to me. Um, and so I put it off and put it off and she uh, sent me a text, a little kick in the shorts and said, hey, I haven't seen anything. I haven't heard anything. Are you going to do this or not? So I had a day in December of 22 that I wasn't doing anything. And I said, okay. So I built a website uh, in a couple hours, just easy, simple build of a website, announced it on LinkedIn. And within like 24 hours, I had 60 some odd people who wanted to be guests and tell their stories and, and talk about their organizations and, and all that to the point where I haven't even made it through the list of people who... Wow, that initial list. Exactly. I've, I've got a, a notebook here in front of me. I don't have it turned to the page, but I still have the page in here with all of those names uh, written down. How cool uh, is that? So I said, okay, I'll do it for three months. And uh, I'll release an episode a, a week for, for three months. If 
I get burnt out, if it's too time consuming, if it's not providing anything useful to the industry, I'll be one of those podcasts that burn out, right? And there's a lot of podcasts. I mean, the majority don't make it past mm-hmm. episode 10. So congratulations, Dan. You guys <laughs> made it past 10. Um, and uh, release the first five or six episodes. Uh, I was recording at that point. I was recording on Fridays, releasing the Thursday after. I didn't have any backlog. I didn't have any buffer. It was killing me. Yeah. Just the time that it took. Nobody thinks about the time that it takes to right. put a podcast mm-hmm. together. So I, I did it and I was like, man, this is not going to go anywhere because I'm killing myself. Uh, it's too time consuming. And then about six episodes in, I got a message from a woman in the middle of nowhere in a manufacturing facility. And she goes, hey, I love your podcast. Uh, every every week, I, it brings you know joy to listen to the intro that you do for these people. Uh, I am giving tips to my leader based on what I'm here. I, and it was like, Oh no. (laughs) Now you're in it. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm in it. You have a loyal following. I do. And it just, now it keeps happening. Right. Every time I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll hang it up. Right. I'll get an email from somebody. I I got an email, uh, from a, a student, uh, two or three months ago. And they said, Hey, uh, I just listened to one of your back episodes. It was, you know, Boston center list, Steve Tomasi sounds like an amazing person to work for. I'm not doing anything in my hometown Would love a change of scenery. Can you make the introduction? Nice. Sure. Steve will love that. Right. So I made the introduction. Uh, I have a couple of schools that listen on Fridays as they're doing work in their tech centers. Right. They put it on a speak. That's I, who wants to listen to me? Like <laughs> it's the weirdest thing in the world. And now I've got people like uh, I don't know if you uh, on LinkedIn, Nushrat uh, Ahmed. She is uh, somebody who came out of nowhere on LinkedIn like three months ago to the point where I thought she was a bot. Um, <laughs> I didn't think she was an actual human being. She reached out. She posted all, all this stuff about the the podcast. I was like, this has got to be a bot. There's no way. And so I reached out just, you know, hey, thanks for posting. Uh, How long have you been listening? And she's like, I've listened to every episode. And I was Um, like, do you want to jump on a call? And we jumped on a call and I said, we got to talking and she's a 20 year old uh, who went to the NASCAR Race Institute or Mechanics and I don't know, NASCAR something Institute of Technology, uh, where she learned how to be a machinist and a mechanic and all this stuff. I was like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And she screamed in my ear and she's like, no way, stop it. And and it's just, it's that kind of impact that all of a sudden I'm seeing that I'm having out there. Mm -hmm. And it it gives me goosebumps. Like I I never thought that I would be able to impact the industry in such a positive way just by talking to people, which is a natural skill set for me. So here we are. I'm having a blast with it. Yeah. I mean- it's not a surprise to me at all that like your podcast has drawn attention and people, you know, follow it. I feel like culture is is always important, but it's especially timely, I guess, right now with, you know, labor shortages and things like that. It, it's really surprising to me that that first email that you sent out that the reaction was so mixed because I just think, I don't know, that like I said this is really timely. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what I've found in is there are really three groups of people when it comes to culture. Mm-hmm. Um, people who believe in soft skills, who believe in culture, who are willing to make that change because they value the humans that work for them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so either they are already in the process of some cultural change or they know that they need to get there. Then you have the second group who they know they need to change. They know that culture, that having a good culture will help them, but they're embarrassed to Mm -hmm. start. They don't want to be viewed as having something wrong with their organization. Right. Right. And then there's a third group of people who just don't care. Yeah. Or just denial. yeah, Yeah. And to them, 
they view their employees as being fortunate to have a job right versus, you're here to do a job and you're lucky you have it kind of a yeah exactly yeah. instead of feeling i'm lucky to have you because you're the most skilled person that i could have for this role right if you start right. if owners start changing that mindset to think instead of the employees are lucky to have this job you're very fortunate to have this employee right that's a great first step to to cultural change or at least a journey that they which and had and kind of mentioned labor shortages there a little bit and that kind of forced people's hand a little bit to mm -hmm. kind of flipped it right like hey yeah. <laughs> i am yeah. lucky to have you not just from a cultural standpoint but from a, i can't find anyone like you to be able to do this so and it's right. not going to get any better no right, right. Right. I think the job market is saying like, I demand these things like, and I don't have to work for you. You know, I, yeah. I have a pool of options. options so, right. and you know, we talk to, um, clients who ask us all the time about like, can you help us with recruitment marketing and, and support us in that? And it's, it's the same thing if, you know, you're trying to find a customer, but your website says nothing about what makes you great. Like absolutely, if, it, if an employee comes to your prospective employee comes to your website and is looking and it's like, you're not talking about your culture, you're not showing real faces, real team members, what it's like to work there. What are your values? Like it's, a, it's the same premise basically. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and let's be, let's be real. Not a whole lot of manufacturers need a website to get new business, right? right. It, that's <laughs> it, job shops. They don't need a website to get more business. They need to go be part of associations. They need to network. They need to be at their current customers, right? There's, it, it's a different marketing channel for them um their website should 100 percent be about why it is the best place to work for right. any person right well what we typically say with like a website in that situation is the website is there not to attract people but to be that kind of step where people can come in and say okay this company is legit they look like a real company that can do the work that i need or where you were going is they look like a real company in a place that i want to work yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, just the change from the, I mean, and we still see it with a lot of shops, right? They've got a static page that's just got yeah. <laughs> a list of their uh, machines and a list of their capabilities. And to them, that's their website. That's it, right? Yeah. right. Might have their address and phone number at the bottom, yeah. but that's it. An email right. link or something. Yep. That's yeah. It. Kind of just a, a checklist item. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've, we, we still, uh, unfortunately host some of those sites that are out there, but <laughs> we're working on those people, right? Yeah. Slowly, but surely. It's, yeah. uh, it's a slowly embracing, you know, the digital era era. And yeah. I think it's a slow embrace a little bit too of, you know, culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Telltale sign is when the fax number is still on the footer. That usually is a giveaway. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's like steering a Titanic, right? For both marketing and for culture, but they, they do walk so hand in hand with each other. That, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's amazing. But at the same time, if you're having trouble steering one of those uh, in the right direction, then more than yeah. likely you're having a hard time steering the other, right? Right. Yep. yep. I've got a question that probably doesn't have like a an answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. When when awesome. there is a when there is a bad culture, how long does it take to turn something like that around? That is a great question. I, I like that one. Um, it's not quick. It's not an event, right? Right. Um, and, and that's that's part of the problem that that I've seen over the last two years in, in doing this full time is. A lot of owners who I talk to and are interested, at least in, in taking that step, because they're in that middle bucket. They they recognize that they need to make a change, right? But they're embarrassed, so they quietly reach out to me, right? It's not a public reach out. It's not something that they're very they're willing to be too vulnerable with, right? Mm -hmm. And they okay, so if. I bring you in, you do your assessment. Will my culture be fixed? It's not how that works, man. Yeah. Um, it, I, in a lot of the clients that I've worked with, we don't see results within 12 months. Um, mm -hmm. You see, and, and this is a weird thing about culture, right? You see engagement changes, 
when there's a cultural change, which lead to productivity changes, which lead to uh, that discretionary effort that you get from uh, employees who are engaged in a, in a healthy culture environment. So you see things, but it's a lot harder to quantify the -hmm. cultural change until you start benchmarking metrics, right? So if we walk in day one and we say, okay, uh, your spindle utilization is at X, your scrap rates are at Y, your revenues at Z, uh, and those are the most important numbers to your organization, we can start to track where that looks at, at different you know, stages within your cultural journey, but you're really not going to have a great snapshot of what that looks like within 12 months. Right. Right. I I mean, you won't be able to say, Hey, I had this much change in, in a short period of time. I do have clients who, you know, within 12 months, we have reduced turnover by over 40%. We've Mm -hmm. increased revenue per employee by 26 to 29%, right? But that's over a period of time, right? That's not an event. That's not a one-time thing. So uh, if if you are curious about changing your culture and, and what that looks like, the first step is really defining what your culture is now, right? And that can Mm -hmm. be done through uh, values exercises, mission, vision exercises, define who you are Mm -hmm. now and ask your employees, does this, is this who we are uh, from your eyes, right? That's the first step. If if that aligns and sure, that's that's where your current culture is, but chances are your employees are going to say, no, that's we're here nowhere close yeah. to that. Never heard of that before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> innovative. <laughs> you you think we're innovative? I haven't had an idea in fifteen years. Um, and uh, so that that's really the first step is is to mm-hmm. define that and then identify where do you want to get right if you define who you want to be or who you are and you don't get that feedback that says. Uh, yeah, that's who we are from the employees and that's who you want to be. Great. You've got it defined. We can build that bridge from your current state to future state. But if you say, this is who I think we are and your employees say, nope, that's not who we are. And you say, okay, good. I don't want to be that company. Here's who I want to be. We can also build that bridge for you too, right? So mm-hmm. there, there's right. a couple of different ways, but it's, it's not a quick event. Um, it's not something that you can just say uh like a i dream of genie i i want a healthy culture right it's it's definitely <laughs> something that uh you, you have to work at and and leadership has to put in a ton of work to make that change happen it, it doesn't happen right. overnight and they've got to the leadership has to live that culture in order for the employees to then live it as well yeah, yeah. that's a really good point yeah there's a lot of like intangibles like you just the soft skills that I think are incredibly important in this, but on the onset, um, like how do you measure engagement? You know, when you're first like working with a customer or client, like, I mean, I'm sure there's surveys, like, but how do you get a picture of that? Or like, what questions do you ask? Yeah. So I do, uh, three different things. I do individual one-on-one interviews. Um, the, I start out a assessment. It's a two day assessment. My assessment, it's two days. I start out by talking with the top level, whoever brought me in uh, at the highest level possible. And we talk about what their perception is of their culture, what they think that the employee's perception is of the culture. Then we bring in the rest of the leadership team and we go through a lot of those same questions, right? And then I take a tour. And I look for things. Uh, I look for how clean is the bathroom? Mm -hmm. How uh, is there, pardon me, is there recognition on the walls uh, of employees? Um, I look for those things. I also look at when I walk in the door of a facility, I look at the employees themselves. If they turn around and, and look at me, then typically nine times out of 10, that's a healthier shop, right? But if they're focused on their work, if they've got their Mm -hmm. eyes on their shoes, 
that means that they're afraid to look at you because they've been reprimanded in the past for engaging visitors. Mm -hmm. um, so I do the tour. Then I do one-on-one -on -one interviews where I talk with everybody from leadership team one-on-one -on -one to uh, individual employees that I met throughout my, my tour of the facility. I do a focus group over a lunch. I identify 25 employees. So if it's smaller than 25, it's everybody. Um, mm -hmm. But minus the leadership team, minus the president, mm -hmm. minus the owner, I want them to feel very open in having a conversation with me. And I ask questions like, hey, do you feel valued here? Are you happy here? Right. Very pointed questions about employees experiences there. I wrap up day one with a lot more one on one interviews based on the focus groups uh, or based on the focus group that I did. And then day two is all more the quantitative, right? It's the surveys. I bring 10 tablets in, uh, sit down in a break room or a conference room and uh, the tablets have Candy Crush. Uh, solitaire and hearts on it, as well as the survey. My job is to not force employees to take the survey. My job is to give them the opportunity and make the case for them having a voice in making changes within the organization. If they choose not to take the survey, that means they're actually very actively disengaged because they don't care enough about the organization to fill out a 10 minute survey, right? right. So, I then take all that data, qualitative and quantitative data, I put it together into a cultural brief and then present it to the owner and the leadership team about what I gathered, where they currently are, uh, where they want to be and how do we get there. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. So then what I guess is what do you do with that data then? Like what are the yeah. what does the execution look like? Is there like do you consult or, you know, how do you work through the like the hard work on their end. Yeah. So it varies. Right. And that's, mm -hmm. that's part of the challenge here is, is there's no out of the box solution for culture. Sure. Uh, there's, yeah. there's really not, there's a lot of great solutions out there, right? You've got, you know, Seki, Mike White from mm -hmm. Seki and, and his performance management platform. That's a great step in the right direction to yeah. a healthy culture, but it's not a, a silver bullet, right? It's not your magic wand that can can solve it all. Uh, you know, there's TeamForce AI, uh, which is a, a company that has a kiosk that goes up on the wall and it's an engagement solution for deskless employees. So it's it's you've been through airports, right? And there's the kiosk in the bathroom. How clean is the bathroom today? It's got, you know, five different faces from yeah. smiley green to frowny red. Uh, well, Team Force AI's kiosk is the exact same size. You put it on the wall, you ask an engagement question, you're getting real-time data from your deskless employees. It's a great solution. Again, not a magic wand. So there's a lot of different solutions. Uh, I provide a lot of training uh, to, to my clients. I, I've created, I've got 35 different trainings at this point, everything from how to be a active listener to emotional intelligence, to building better teams, building high performance teams, uh, leadership 101. Right. So I've got different trainings. Yeah. So I do workshops for leadership teams. I do lunch and learns for entire employee populations. I do virtual trainings. I do, uh, I'm a sounding board for some organizations, uh, something I've recently started doing and, and a lot of organizations had a problem with this aspect of performance management is taking a performance review and turning that into a career development plan, right? So if you're ranking somebody a three on any given part of their performance review, part of the performance review should be, what do you need to do to get to a five? If it's mm -hmm. a one out of five, well, you can take that a step further and determine what trainings that employee needs to take in the next 12 months to then get a, a five on their review. Then you're creating a learning plan for that employee 
And that helps them with their engagement levels. It helps create that healthier culture because you're providing employees with a pathway versus making them guess what they need to do to be compensated better. Does that make Uh, sense? yeah, Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we also started doing at Top Floor related to like culture and career development is not just doing the one time like end of year review, but trying to this year start to have those quarterly where we look back on that assessment from the end of last year and the, and the goals that we set and say like, okay, are we making progress towards this space? Instead of, you know, waiting till an entire year goes by to then bring it back up and say like, Oh yeah. Like, did you, did you progress in this area or not? Yeah. No, that's, that's huge. And Chad, uh, props to you for, for doing that. Uh, I, I recommend at least quarterly. Um, I, but I even have my clients do it monthly. Um, yeah. it, the more yeah. freak and it doesn't have to be an in-depth sit down, right? It can be a five to minute, five to 10 minute, uh, stand up meeting in the hallway or, or it, virtually for you guys, right. Where you're just on a zoom call for 10 minutes. Hey, what are the biggest roadblocks to you achieving these goals? Cool. Let me help you remove them done, right? You don't have to have it be this super in-depth thing, but the more frequently you meet with somebody about their performance review, the higher score they're going to get, the more engaged you're going to have that employee, the more productivity you get out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And and Anne's right. We made a switch from a, a very formal, long, drawn out, annual, year-end like process to a a quicker, more conversational uh, quarterly, yeah. and then also doing either a weekly or a bi-weekly, depending on the team, uh, one-on-one awesome. where we have those types of like quick conversations that are more focused on what's happening right now, what can we help you with right now, what can we fix right now. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, it, that is more valuable and it's you know less time, to be, to be honest. <laughs> it takes less time to do that than it did the other way. And you're going to keep people, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's what every owner, every leader wants. They don't, the cost of turnover is so astronomical Mm -hmm. that you don't want to replace an Anne. A, Anne's awesome. B, (laughs) the amount of money that you've put into developing Anne to get Anne Mm -hmm. to where she is now is is massive, right? Right. So why would you want to have to start over? And it's yep. the same for machinists. It's the same mm-hmm. for operators. It's the same for engineers and programmers. Why would any manufacturer want to start over? Right. If you treat them well, if you provide them with a sustainable career pathway, then you don't have to pay the, the costs of replacing that person. Absolutely. But they're just so used to doing that. I know a guy, he has a, a new... Um, a new class of employees starting every two weeks and it's anywhere from four to six new employees every two weeks. He has like a 78% turnover rate. It's ridiculous, but they've been doing it that way for 20 years. And I mean, they have people come back three and four times over the course of their careers work there for, you know, X amount of time, then they get pissed off and leave and then they'll come back in five years. How can you even have a culture? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let alone a good one when the people are yes. searching every, every yeah. yeah. I'm surprised they, that that has been sustainable for them. <laughs> I mean, I, they're getting to a point where it's not sustainable anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because now, you know, glass door, for a long time, machinists didn't pay attention to Indeed. They didn't pay attention to Glassdoor mm-hmm. reviews. They didn't pay right. attention to that any of that kind of stuff. Now yeah. they are. Now, yeah. because as we, the baby boomer generation retires and, and we fill the jobs with, let's be real, we skip in Gen X and, and some of the millennial generation because there aren't enough of us to fill these jobs. But as we get into the the late uh, millennials and, and Gen Z's, they're looking on those platforms. They're mm-hmm. so much more data driven in their decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know where to find that data. And that that's why it's such a dangerous place to be if, if you're not pr- promoting a healthy culture, right? Even over the last 
I want to say three years, the questions that I get from interviewees versus what I used to get, no one would ask about benefits or culture or, you know, the like the intangible things that benefits are tangible, but the intangible things that aren't a part of a salary package. Uh, yeah. I get those mm-hmm. questions a lot these days. Like people want to know what are they getting into? <laughs> yeah. A, because they can be selective because of the labor market, even in our industry, you know, it's tight. Yep. Um, and, and B, because they, they want to know what, what they're signing up for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you, you can save a whole lot of time and effort by putting that stuff in a job description. Yeah. Job just being up front right? with it. Yeah. Hey, we, we provide dental, uh, vision, uh, or dental and health, but not vision or, or whatever. Right. Right. Um, but th- those have become more of an entitlement than a benefit. Right. And, and so uh, I, I coach a lot of the people I work with. Don't look at them as benefits. Don't look at it as a, a nice to have. Look at it as you must provide these things, uh, right. even if you're under 50 employees, uh, because as you grow, you're going to want to have these these uh, put in place and you want you're not going to find the people you want if you don't have them. Absolutely. And then as you were talking, the other thing on, on those quarterly or reviews or the, the touch points with your employees, like the biggest thing, I think, if you could boil it all down, is to just listen. You can't really solve every problem, right? You can't be, especially at larger companies, you can't be so specific with each individual person's needs, but you can listen. Even if you can't solve their problem, sometimes that's all people want is just someone to be able to talk to about whatever's going on. Um, yeah. and that's, that's the biggest thing that I try to tell myself. Cause I still have some direct reports that I meet with regularly and it's just, Hey, let me just hear you out. Like I'm your sounding board outside of your, you know, day to day world. Well, and it gives you insight as like a leader too. I feel like then you, you have that background if they're, you know, not performing the way that you normally expect, like, you know, right. that like, Oh, there's like, they mentioned this is going on. So, you know giving them the benefit of the doubt, but yeah. And every now and then there's a problem I can help solve, you know, and it's like, well, let me make your life easier because I've dealt with that before because I've been doing this for 12 years instead of year two. And here's an easier way to look at that. Well, and and along those lines, Chad, and and this is what I was going to say is a lot of leaders need to learn to take their tool belt off their solution belt off when, when they're listening to their employees a lot of times. and, And this goes, to personal lives too, right? I mean, if I try to come up with a solution for everything that my wife comes to me and wants to just be heard about, then I'm not doing my job as the husband, right? I'm not listening and just giving her that place. Same with employees. If as as a leader, if you are trying to solve everything that your employees have, every single issue, you're not doing them any service. Right. You're you become almost a pain to come talk to because if all they want is somebody to just listen to them, if you come up with a solution to that, then you're not giving them what they look for. So I tend to ask the question, are you looking for advice, a solution, or just to be heard? Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, they know what they're looking for out of coming to me. So I'm able to then give them what they're looking for when they come to me. Yep. But I have to ask that question up, up front uh, because if I don't, my automatic response is to put my tool belt on and come right. up with a solution, right? So really good I point. think that's, yeah, to just uh, something that all the listeners out there should, should take a, and use professionally and personally. When somebody comes to you with something that they want to say, Ask them how they what they're looking for out of you because that'll help mm-hmm. guide how you interact with them. Yeah, that's so smart. The other thing too, and this is more probably on the the professional level or as a leader, um, to try to push them to find the solution on their own. That's something that I've like. That's it's tough to when they are looking for the answer or the solution <laughs> and they're just like, can you tell me or can you show me? Can you do it for me here? And you just try to be like, well, how would you solve it? Like, well, absolutely. You know, peeling back because you want them to grow and you want them to be critical thinkers and problem solvers. And um, that's another, I guess, tip, too, is to challenge yourself if you're in that position and you, you're confronting a problem to push that person to to figure out 
how to solve it on their own. Are you talking specifically to me, Anne? Or are you just... No, I'm mostly talking to myself. (laughs) I feel like you're looking right at me. I could feel it. (laughs) I... I could feel it too, and yeah. I'm in between you guys yeah. on my screen. I don't know how everybody else is seeing so, this, but I can feel Let me feel summarize that. that and said, Chad, let me figure it out on my own sometime. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think it's something that like is a challenge for everyone because the way you have you the way you communicate to an employee is different than the way you naturally communicate. Like you have to like yeah. keep those things in mind and you know, ask the questions you might not normally ask. You might normally just try to jump in and fix it and solve it and it's just something that I know that I have to challenge myself to do Absolutely. as well. So, well, and, and yeah. let's be real. If, if leaders focused on every problem that their employees have, then they're not doing their job as leaders. Their job as a leader of an organization is to be strategic and take the organization in directions that it needs to go. If you spend all of your time on tactical issues that employees have and don't empower them to think on their own, then you're going to, you're never going to grow as an organization, right? right. You're never going to grow as a team. If, if you start having, let me use an example. I was a leader of a team. I'm not going to mention the company because then you'll know exactly, you won't, but the person will know exactly that I told the story about them. Uh, and I had this employee that would come to me five to six times a day, we were remote uh, and they would ask me questions. Here's the problem, what do I do? Here's the problem, what do I do? I spent so much time helping that employee through their own issues that I fell behind on the work that I needed to get done, the things that I needed to deliver on. So I started asking the question, how how would you solve that problem? Or what, what do you think I, uh, my answer would be? Things of that way, nature, right? I, I didn't exactly answer it the same way every time, but different variations of how would you solve this problem? And pretty quickly, I was getting one phone call a day. Hey, here are the problems that came up today. Here's how I solved them. Fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Uh, but it also gave that person the ability to fail without repercussion right? We're in manufacturing. Failure can mean a lot of different things. It can mean jobs don't get out on time. It can mean scrap rate, it can mean loss of money, it can mean loss of jobs, etc. But you still have to be able to fail within your job because failure is how people learn, right? So mm-hmm. I provided that person the ability to fail. Sometimes they made the wrong choice, but they had the confidence that they weren't going to lose their job if they made a call and they made the wrong call. And then they were able to call me and say, hey, here was the problem. Here's what I did. It blew up in my face. We're now like six weeks behind schedule. Here's what I learned. How would you have done it? Right. That's a much different conversation because Mm -hmm. that's really guiding that person, right? It's different than having seven phone calls in a day at answering questions. Right. Yeah. Allowing them to fail. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So something that you kind of, I mean, we've been touching on this in, in some capacity is just kind of like the business case overall for culture. Like you mentioned things like revenue or just the cost of developing and growing an employee. Is this a case that you have to make often? Like when you're talking to people like you know, all the time, what are the metrics? Like, why, why should I care? (laughs) You know, all the time. And, and, uh, you know, I guess the person who sells it always has the blinders on, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, because to me, it, it it makes sense. Why wouldn't you want a healthy culture? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the stats are out and, you know, right now there is a, huge, we have the largest disengaged workforce that we've ever had in since engagement's been measured, right? And I'll get to your answer and I'm setting the stage for it, if you will. (laughs) Um, There's 77% of employees are disengaged right now in their job. What that means is lower productivity rates in manufacturing. It means more mistakes. It means higher costs uh, to get the job out. The total cost of ownership of manufacturing apart means that's higher, which means that the profits are lower for manufacturers. When you look at turnover, which comes from 
bad culture, right? Retention uh, and the converse is turnover. Turnover comes uh, and, and can cost anywhere from three to four times the cost of that employee's salary. So when you look at the cost of an employee leaving your organization, it's three to four times their annual salary because you've got to factor in the uh, the time it takes to, to search for somebody, right? That you've got an HR or in some cases the owner posting jobs, doing interviews. Um, so you've got that time. You've got the... Um, the ramp up time. Once you do hire somebody, you've got to onboard them. If you don't onboard them well, um, if you don't create that clear training pathway for them, um, it's going to take longer, which means that they're going to cost you more money before they're making you money, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many different factors when it comes to the business case for a healthy culture. so to answer your question directly, those factors are turnover costs, total cost of ownership, productivity rates, things of that nature, which at individual manufacturers, individual companies can mean different things, right? Some companies focus on spindle utilization. Some companies focus on product out the door, their throughput, right? Because they're more of a... a, a low mix, uh, high volume type organization. So it, it, it'll look different, but there are some key metrics that, that we do focus on. I focus on turnover rates and revenue per employee. The, that, mm-hmm. Those are the two that I find encapsulate culture and engagement into one bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do see uh, TCO's clients have seen on average 40% uh, decrease in turnover and a 26% increase in revenue per employee. Yeah, that's awesome that you can tie it back to like the bottom line metrics. I think that's what yeah. like leaders are always most concerned about, I feel like, or owners yeah. like, you know, well, making and, money. <laughs> yeah, and, and we talked earlier about, you know, that tangibleness, right, of mm-hmm. uh, company culture, of soft skills. And, and that's been the biggest challenge uh, for leaders is, especially mm-hmm. in manufacturing, leaders in manufacturing are so used to being able to say, hey, I want to buy this million dollar machine. I know that in X amount of time, the ROI will be there because I can run you know, jobs one, two, and three on it, and it'll pay itself off by X date, right? Mm-hmm. They look at soft skills. They don't know how to quantify it. They don't know right. how to quantify company culture yeah. and engagement. And so that's when I said earlier that they're afraid of it, they're, it's not necessarily that they're afraid of it. They just don't understand how to measure it. And right. this is a world of engineers and black and white and quantifiable metrics. And if you can't quantify it, then it doesn't matter, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think, I don't think, I know that's the biggest problem that manufacturers have with the, the concept of culture, soft skills and engagement is it's hard for them to be able to quantify. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to kind of wrap up by talking about like where you start. So you've now embraced that, okay, maybe I need to look internally and fix things. What are some things that a manufacturing company can start by like examining or looking at? Like you mentioned, for example, like your brand values, like, or your pillars, like, is that a good starting point? And, you know, are there any others? Yeah. So every exercise, uh, when I start with a client, first phone call I have is around mission, vision, and values. That's the absolute 100% starting point for mm-hmm. every conversation. And that's where every, and it doesn't have to be manufacturing, but this is geared towards manufacturers. Uh, any company, that's where you should start your cultural journey. Do you have those things defined? And a lot of times manufacturers don't. Uh, They don't know what their mission is, or they may know their mission, but they don't know where they want to be when they grow up. They don't know what that Mm -hmm. vision statement looks like. Um, And if they do, sometimes they don't know what they stand for, right? Or they, their values uh, are 
what they look for in employees, but they're not the values that they have for the organization, right? So sure. there's a lot of different things that that they need to look at when when talking about their mission, vision, and values. So uh, I'd look at that first, um, and I would also look at how what do your people say, right? If you were to walk into a room uh, or have a third party walk into a room of your employees and ask a question, blanket statement, do you enjoy working here by show of hands? Raise your hand if you enjoy working here. How many hands would go up, right? That's a great starting point. Um, I think that leaders need to look at human centeredness, right? Uh, I'm a big proponent of human centered leadership, focusing more on the people within the organization than the profitability. If you focus on the people, profits will follow. Um, so look at how do you treat your employees? Do the air conditioners work? Are you celebrating them as employees uh, publicly and privately? Mm -hmm. So those are three like easy, quick, hits yeah. that that manufacturers could do to to at least start the journey something i wanted to ask too is just kind of any like positive stories that you can share either through the podcast or through your working with manufacturing companies do you have any like stories of just seeing a cultural turnaround or kind of like you know how have people challenged the status quo and in what were their success stories yeah, so I've, I've got two um, and one from both. Um, one of my favorite, I've got two from the podcast. One is hilarious um, <laughs> and one is just a, a great story. Uh, so I'll tell the, the great story. Steve Tomasi, uh, he's the owner of Boston Centerless in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he has a large uh, immigrant community that works for him. And he, he goes so far as to put the flag from every country that is represented in his shop on the shop wall to make them feel like they are home, right? And, and to give them a connection to that purpose. And he, I, I get a lot of emails uh, for some reason, people who don't even speak English, listen to my podcast. So I get a lot of emails from uh, people out of the country who are looking to come to the US because they see it as a land of opportunity and they want jobs in manufacturing. And so people will reach out to me from, and for the longest time, I didn't know where to send them, right? Because uh, that's, that's a, a touchy subject, right? There are a lot of people here who need jobs as well, right? Um, and some people can't take people from out of country, um, can't help them with visas, things of that nature. Um, so I started sending them all to Steve. He's just now my funnel of requests. <laughs> um, so that that's a very heartwarming one. Cool, yeah. Uh, awesome. The funny one from the podcast, a company called Drops Brackets up in the Kootenai, Kootenai uh, region of British Columbia, Canada, in the middle of nowhere, in the sticks, they ask in their interview process one question that eliminates most candidates, and that is, what is your favorite comedy movie? And no. if they can't, if candidates can't answer that in a way that aligns with the people who already work there, then they don't get the job. <laughs> and, uh, wow. and I think that's amazing. Yeah. They, he, uh, Devin, uh, the, the manager or supervisor I spoke with there, um, on the podcast, he told me the story of how they were looking for a shop manager and they asked that question in the interview process. And this guy was the best candidate on paper. And he said, well, that's a dumb question. Why would you ask that? This is an interview. And he didn't get the job. He was the best candidate on paper, but he didn't align with them well enough to be able to answer that question, right? So I thought that was hilarious, but also a very cool way to, to weed out some of the uh, bad candidates. Um, from the consulting side, uh, I have a client who... Uh, when I started with them, the 12 months before I started working with them, they had uh, 12 out of 20 employees leave. So they had Jeez. 12 people. So massive turnover 
over the course of the 12 months prior to me starting with them. 12 months after I started with them, uh, they grew their sales, uh, they hit their revenue goals, and they only lost three people. Um, so they had a massive, massive turnaround. Uh, their people are now more engaged. They feel uh, like they have purpose. They feel like they're connected to the work that they're doing. It's just a, a really heartwarming story. Uh, they're, cool. they're doing a great job. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot great. to be proud of, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, those are kind of all the questions I have. <laughs> um, and we're just at about time. Do you have anything else, Chad, you wanted to ask? No, I don't think so. This was amazing. Uh, just both from a content standpoint and just talking to you, Jim. I think we could talk yeah. probably all day. <laughs> That's how I felt the number of times you've been on a call. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, this has been great. This has been uh, awesome. I, I enjoyed being on this side of the questions a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for having on. But I do think that we could just talk all day. I mean, the, that's the joy of some of these conversations is you almost have to be like, eh, well, we, we've got to end it somewhere. Uh, it can't just be an <laughs> indefinite interview. Um, but uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And um, just shout out again to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. You can find it, Absolutely. I'm thinking, everywhere that podcasts can be found. And yeah, um, any other ways that people can reach out or get in touch with you, Jim, and LinkedIn or... Yeah, LinkedIn is usually the easiest and less filtered way to get a hold of me. Uh, my email, uh, sometimes people go to you know, junk mail and all that kind of fun stuff. Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me as Jim James Mayer uh, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Jim or James Mayer. Otherwise, yeah, podcast is great. I've got two websites, Manufacturing Culture Podcast website and tcostrategies.com. You can get me on either one of those. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. And we'll talk to you all later. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for joining us this episode of The Marketing Schematic. We hope you enjoyed listening and will follow along by subscribing wherever you stream podcasts. You can also watch the full video and audio recording of this episode on our website at topfloortech.com. 